This is the Mini Market Podcast. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast, episode 52-ish or so. That's right, boom. We're coming back live at you after a three-man weave. We got the full crew here this weekend, Isaiah, Dalton, Lucas, and myself. Boys, going to say hi. Hi. Yo. Howdy. Appreciate you guys not uh, overdwelling on your intros. Um, I think the first place to start, it is championship weekend in the NFL. And um, Dalton took in a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of, would you say, DC slash Cincinnati football this weekend here? Um, care to talk a little bit about that, Dalton? I was out and about in the Capitol doing some field work for the podcast, trying to get some content from the people, from the people for the people, as we say. Bingo. So I was I was out watching the Bengals Chiefs game, and it was a Chicago bar, but it ended up turning into a Bengals bar. It's like ninety five percent Bengals fans. I was cheering for the Chiefs. Funny story. There was one girl in there in a Chiefs jersey. I was wearing a Wolves sweatshirt. Walked by. She goes, hey, love your Wolves sweatshirts. And I was like, all right, let's go Chiefs. So I That's was cheering all for it the takes. Chiefs. That's all it took. <laughs> I think I'm in love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby. So I was ready to risk it all. And then she also, she was like, and I hate Kirk Cousins. And I was like, let's go. Okay, yeah. All this right. is your soulmate okay. right here. Now, now <laughs> I'm not buying it. This girl's not real. And this she goes, fake. Like a fucking rude. She she was like, she was like, well, everyone hates Kirk Cousins. I was like, oh no, my friends love Kirk Cousins. And she said, You need new friends. And I was dying. I was, <laughs> Did you ask her to come on to discuss? <laughs> I mean, happy next time. She was she was not in the mood to discuss after the tough loss. But uh anyway, I heard some some wild stuff thrown around during the game. And so I had two thoughts that I want you guys, I'm calling this bar thoughts, buy or sell. You guys let me know if you buy or sell these thoughts, whether you think they're good or bad. First one, my friend and I were talking about the end of the Chiefs Bills game last week where the Bills could have squib kicked it, but instead they didn't, they kicked it deep and then the Chiefs ended up winning all that. And so I was saying, oh, you know, the Bills might not have wanted to squib kick because maybe something funky happens, like the ball hits a player and the Chiefs end up, you know, getting the ball at like midfield with 10 seconds left. Just my friend and I talking about this. Then this guy cuts into our conversation. He says, well, actually, you'd rather have the ball ball at the 25 with 15 seconds left than midfield with 10 seconds left because then more of the playbook is open. Oh, yeah. And I just looked at him and I was like, okay. And in my head, I'm going, what plays are in the playbook when you're at 25 with 15 seconds left, but aren't in the playbook at midfield with 10 seconds? So am I like insane? Because that made no sense to me. But he cut into our conversation (laughs) to say that. I am in total agreement with you, Dalt. It's like, I thought the same thing. You have 50 yards. What play is drawn up to go over 50 yards besides like a Hail Mary? Like, that's just, you're completely right. Every play is, is still in the playbook from, from midfield. And remind me, what do you, we need a TD? Need a TD? Yeah. Oh. So, um, for closer. this is the, like, this is the Chiefs just breaking football brains across America because they just did that in, they kicked a field goal. They went in 13 seconds. 
They kicked a field goal with two timeouts, mind with you. With two timeouts from the 25. And people were like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen ever. No one will ever do this ever again or anything like it. And this guy's like, yeah, we'll give him two more seconds. And they would have had a TD easy every single time. No, that is, that's brutal. That is so bad. I, I mean, like what... The fact that he was confident enough or maybe drunk enough to to butt into another conversation with that terrible well actually. He should have his well actually card officially revoked. No more well actuallys for this guy until he can actually figure out what he's thinking about. Because that's bad. That's just Agreed. really bad. Agreed. I haven't called somebody this in a long time, Ooh. but the word spaz comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> You know, fourth or fifth grade, and you used to call somebody a spaz, and now he's kind of cut deep. Um, that's what this feels like. This guy's just out of nowhere from the top rope, just blowing nonsense. Like, think about think about that five seconds to get to midfield, and then it's the same scenario. Like one pass, and you probably get to midfield with less time. How does that even make sense? Like, this is just asinine. Insane. Yeah, I was just like Okay, and then he kind of like had a little like smirk, like yeah, that was that was smart, and like turned You're around, welcome. and I he was looked waiting at my friend, all like, day for that one. <laughs> he yeah, was he just was. waiting for someone to bring that up all week. He's been on Twitter tweeting about that all week. Okay, Connor, I am beyond stoked that you brought up spaz as an insult Whoa. because my girlfriend this week asked me. She said, "What's the what was the best insult pre swear words growing up?" And my <laughs> answer was spaz. I said that was the best insult you could dish out before you were allowed to swear or knew how to swear uh because it's just it it's like this perpetuating cycle because if you're spazzing somebody calls you a spaz you spaz worse if you're not spazzing somebody calls you a spaz you spaz because you are like i'm not spazzing and then they're like you're being a spaz and then you start to spaz i don't think anybody anything was more impactful than spaz growing up i i'd love to hear what is what does everybody think? What's your top precursing insult? I I think the thing about spaz is like that one honestly can carry into the swearing era too because it's a mind pretzel, like you said. Like somebody calling you a spaz in middle school and you like kind of know swear words and probably called somebody that before. You're still like, God, I can't believe you called me that. I'm not a spaz, am I? I'm, I'm spaz. not spazzing. I'm not being a spaz. It's like that scene from Anger Management. Um where Adam Sandler's on the plane and everybody's telling him to calm down. And he's like, I am calm. And it, it just keeps going on and on and on. And finally he's like, I'm quite calm. <laughs> and then it's like, you're a spaz. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I think, I think spaz has got to be up there. It Tough depends on the era a little bit, you know, like if you're like six, uh, that's probably a little too young for the spaz i would think yeah too so, young for spaz yeah. i was gonna say that's I more like butt butt and like turd face bad. and like Wait, yeah <laughs> brain Mine like gonna be, yeah if, if spaz wins it but the old stupid idiot one on top of the other was a good one <laughs> for i think pre-spaz days Lou kids are listening Jeepers. yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> no you're right lou stupid idiot is good but stupid idiot has a quick expiring shelf life because once you can swear stupid idiot you become a child if somebody if <laughs> you're, you're like, a stupid idiot yeah, yeah <laughs> yes because if somebody's like you're a dumb little quack and you're like shut it you stupid idiot they're like oh i can destroy this kid he's not even allowed to swear yet <laughs> oh that's so true so i think we're all uh to regroup back here um 
we're all kind of a fan of the word spaz for a 10 year old. And that guy at the bar should be shot in the head or euthanized. Um, any other kind of crazy things, Dalton? One other one. So I thought the first one would probably be a unanimous sell in terms of buy or sell. So I'm glad we're all on the same page. This one I think might be more controversial. This girl might have said the smartest thing ever. We're watching the game. There was a punt. And she goes, I think teams should only be able to punt three times per game. And then she just said, use them wisely. And at first I was like, that's ridiculous. And then the more I thought about it, that would be incredible. That's such another element of strategy added to the game where it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're on our own 40, but do we punt or should we go for it? Because later in the game, we might be pinned. And all, there's all these extra layers of sort of complexity that that adds. So I was like, that's crazy. So I wanted to get your guys' take on that. It would totally open up the playbook, I feel like, offensively, because <laughs> it, it, <laughs> think about this. Like, you're, you're, when do you punt? You probably only punt. You save your punts for, like, inside the 30, your own 30, maybe even inside your own 25. Like, panic. Like, you're not punting at the 50 ever. So you get a little bit of breathing room. Now you're playing four downs every single time. You just got the four down strategy. Um, we're going to start seeing the, the, the advent of the running game will come back, I think, if you're you know three yards in a cloud of dust, if you're planning on going for it every time. Give me the fullback back. They are not, they'll be more important once again. Um, I paid in the NFL probably at that yeah, point. Matt, Matt Tolbert will return. The return of Matt Tolbert, the bowling ball. You just wear teams down. You're like, we're not punting, but we will dominate you on the ground uh, with our big boys. So return to the big boys, I think, would happen, actually. It'd be less scoring, possibly. I I think I kind of like it as well. I think, although I think it would make potentially more scoring, because if you're turning it over, you know, on your half of the field more, more times than just punting it away, like, I think it, it would just bring more like focus and like, I don't know what the word I'm actually looking for, but when there's a fourth down at like a big spot in the game or like coach decides to go for it on his own 35 or something, your blood starts to boil a little bit, whether it's your team or not. Like it's, it's just, it makes the game more interesting, I think. And then you'd have to be much more strategic as a head coach as well. For me to do a little sport crossover and tell me where this is wrong, um, I, the problem with me is like restricting this sort of thing is weird. It's, it'd be like, okay, you can only throw 25 curveballs in this game. And once you hit 25, it's like, now we know it's coming. We're going to hit it out of the park or like breaking balls or like you can only hit the cutoff th- three times in a game. Other than that, you got to throw to a base. And like it would, I, I think to me, it just like kind of takes away from the purest version of the game, you know, where it's like now we're forcing them into play calls. That's weird. Like, what's next? We're going to only let them run on first downs. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's kind of like a slippery slope into just like changing the game entirely. It's fun in theory, but I think in practice, it would be a lot less fun. Connor, just we thinking, gave up the purest form in the game when we allowed forward passes. 
<laughs> I was going to say it. Watch if they hypothetically made this change next year, the older generation would just go nuts about just how now millennials are, are just ruining football, even though it's already, you know, been changed quite a bit with the all player safety thing. But yeah, that's I, I would have loved to see, have everybody see Lou's face when he said player safety. <laughs> yeah, like, you're <laughs> his face. Like, player safety. Uh, but okay, so just like think of how pivotal like the first sort of like set of ten yards is if if you can't really punt. Like, oh, I'm 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 not. You know a what I mean? Take away punting in general, and it's a it's a wild game. Crazy. It, it may be Crazy. really boring. Honestly, it, I, it could be like it could yeah. be very strange. Yeah, because punting allows you the ability to just sling the rock. And like if we get zero yards in three plays, that's fine. We just give it to them and hope our defense stops. Now mm. you're like shit. That's what I'm saying. The running game, six yards. Yeah, no, you're totally yeah. right. I just think it would it would take a lot away from the game. Yeah, she probably didn't think all that right. You said she was getting the game mansplained to her at the at the bar there, doll. Was that right? Oh yeah, her boyfriend was uh, telling her every little thing. Like you see, you have to snap it. Sometimes they're in shotgun, which means the quarterback stands back. Shotgun's not a weapon, sweetheart. It's a it's a it's a position formation. It's not just how you get the front seat in the car, baby. Yeah. Uh, that guy sucks. We don't know him, but that guy sucks. I think we can just all to agree make sure that, that guy this, sucks. This guy is, is not the well actually guy too. Two separate guys. Two separate good guys. Kalu, good. Wow. Two what a terrible bar. Wow. Yeah, this terrible bar. bar yeah. You can't go back there. You EC proves that it. That woman that hates your friends. I mean, this this is a tough group. Yeah, doll. What's the coast? This is what happens when you go to the coasts, people. You just end up in bars with shittiest people on earth. Mm-hmm. Stay in the Midwest. Watch at home. You'll have a great yep. time. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my trip to the field. Hey, appreciate it. That's fun. Um, obviously, Isaiah has now denounced coastal bars, but um, don't stop doing what you love, Dalton. Um, with that, kind of on the same topic of football, we had a, a major development uh, on the Minnesota Vikings side this week. So, Lou, let's, uh, we'll have you talk us through it a little bit. Yeah, shocker. One of the two finalists that we listed last week was is now the new Vikings general manager, Kwesi Adofu Mensa. So well welcome. Good research, Lou. Yeah. Um, but I, like I said, I would have been fine with either of, of these picks, but uh, I was a little bummed at first when I saw that uh, polls got signed by the Bears um, because I did really like the idea that he had rebuilt the Kansas city offensive line, which like we mentioned last week, we have talked about. Um, <clears throat> so that was a little bit of a bummer, but uh, I did catch a little bit of Quasi's, uh introductory press conference. And I mean, I can see why everyone just raves about him. The guy is super likable, um, like down to earth. He's obviously worked really hard to get where he is. Um, but also I'm very excited about, he's going to provide a completely different approach to basically what we're used to from our, at least my whole, like really being a fan of the Vikings. So I am very excited to see what he kind of does in the head coaching search now. That's got a million dollar smile too. I don't think you mentioned that, but I, yeah, wow. true, true, true. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, it'll 
it would be interesting to get a survey of like which GMs consider themselves analytical GMs in the NFL. Cause it, it, I feel like GMs kind of get like lost in the shuffle a little bit in the NFL where like analytical approaches and, you know, a sport, we all love baseball. It's like pretty clear who's taking that approach. And then football is a little more difficult to tell. Um, but it'd be interesting to know how many are like successful. And it seems like that's the new wave of like sports. So the NFL is just kind of like maybe catching up a little bit. But um, I really do hope it, it, it works out well, obviously, as a fan. Uh, just a general question to the group. Do we, do we think that Theo Epstein and Billy Bean ruined uh, GMing in sports by, by making, and, and not at their own fault, but I don't care who the GM is, really. Like, why, yeah. they, how, why have they become such a like, figure? Yeah, it's like, what's next? I'm going to have to know the CEO of the organization's name, too. Like, just or whether, whether he's Italian or Korean. Yeah. Or... It's because they were first. You know who the first president was of the U.S.? Can you name the seventh president of the U.S.? Van they Bur- were the first ones to use that data. Buren. Oh, Martin Van Buren. Ever heard of her? Ooh. That that would be that would be my guess, but yeah, I mean, it is kind of weird to to know. Yeah, like I, GMs. I just feel like it wasn't always the case that GMs were like sort of like poster children of their own organization. Like they just seem to be way more behind the scenes. Like Do you think ten or fifteen years ago, and now they're like like you need your GM to be a great personality, like to the public. You need them to be in like tons of press press conferences, like. Everybody knows the GM is analyzing the GM. It's like, have we just gotten that far into sports that we care about every aspect of it? Or is there something like bigger, a bigger reason why we know who the GM is so much? I wonder that my question is, have we always had GMs or was ever, I might need somebody to mansplain this to me, but um, have we ever had a situation where like the coach was just the GM and that really wasn't a thing? Tommy. It's well, terrible. yeah, I know that people serve two roles, but I mean, like, was that the norm at some point or no? Do you think there's always been a GM and then a coach and they have different roles? I, I feel think like originally, like, the owner was sort of just like the team czar who made every decision. Sure. But maybe I don't I don't know how that progressed, but I'm guessing eventually they were well, like, I'm not going to do everything. I'm going to, you know, pay someone to make the hard choices. There's coaches Jerry Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Jones. And coaches owner, can't player, be worried. Coach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Starting power forward, Jackie, Jackie Moon. But I feel I think Billy Bean and Epstein are kind of interesting cases because, like, Billy Bean was sort of the one who ushered in the data analytics. So you know, he he sort of came to fame there. So he was like the first data analytics person. And then Epstein, he was kind of a big commodity, like before he went to Boston. I feel like he was known even before. So he he was like a what was he before the Boston stint? Was he, did he work for MLB? I don't remember exactly, but he, he was known before that. And I think just like winning a title after a hundred years in Boston, will get you like that yeah. fame. Yeah. And you know, and Billy Bean is like, he probably didn't want to be famous. Like he probably would have preferred to be the guy behind the scenes. So maybe we just blame Michael Lewis for writing that book. A great, hate book. That. great book, but screw Brooks. <laughs> Sorry, that was a tangent. I was just wondering. I like him too, Lou. I'm with you. I think most of Minnesota is eaten out of the palm of his hand, which eh, not a bad thing, I don't think. But I think part of it too is like you said, 
I no like growing up, I didn't care who the GM was. I half the time I wouldn't know. If you ask me the GM of most NFL teams, I ha- I would have no idea who they are. Um, so you know, I probably would have at least pretended to like whoever <laughs> whoever it was. But uh, one last thing, he was rocking a dope black jumpsuit when he actually signed the contract and i've been wanting black alternate vikings jerseys for like a long time so i'm really really hoping that it's one of the you know first 30 day things that he's got going um i would really appreciate that so (laughs) the list on the first 30 days love that i got this Um, weird weird feeling that you might be in the minority on that lucas because i think the state of minnesota just hates cool jerseys from my um, Twitter feed because there is this roaring, roaring uprise of people asking for the mid early two thousands twins jerseys to return. The gray is that like those the gray, gray pinstripes? Those beige, the oh, the gray got, pinstripes. Yeah, the gray pinstripes. Those like gray uh, pinstripe jerseys. I don't know how I feel about those. I don't hate them initially oh, like you guys do. Oh, the even the white ones are brutal too. We're just not a yeah. pinstripes organization, in my opinion. I don't, I don't, I'm not traditionally a pinstripe guy, but the gray pinstripes are like just weird enough to where I almost, I almost oh. would intrigue them. Oh, the just gray dust. pinstripes are to the twins as the lime green alternate wolves jerseys are to the wolves. I think those are both like kind of bottom of the barrel jerseys in both of those organizations. For the black Vikings jerseys, would their numbers be purple or yellow? Black with just them. I think it would have to, the trim would have to be at, I, I think, I mean, I don't know, because the Ravens, I think their black jerseys look really cool, but they don't have like that third color really that the Vikes have with that yellow. So I don't know. I'd be interested to see some mock ups. Yeah. If you guys could send Twitter. those, we'll never uh, have them on my desk by Quasi, send send them over. Yeah. We'll tweet those at uh, Mini Market Podcast at Twitter, those mock ups. We expect them by week's end. One thing I will say, though, is in my opinion, football jerseys are all pretty lame. And maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. But you're just like there's less stuff you can do with a football jersey because you have to have massive numbers on the front and the back. It's like football jerseys aren't that cool to me anyways. So that's where I'm, I'm, I'm semi out on the idea. I don't know why teams don't do multiple helmets like they do in college, like in the pros. I, you know, maybe a Vikings helmet that's white with like purple horns or maybe something have a crazy. motorcycle on one like. What's his name? Ragnar used to ride in on. I actually have some inside knowledge on this. So the NBA got Nike as a sponsor um, when they replaced Adidas a few years back. And uh, Nike has been really aggressive with trying to uh, create like city specific alternate jerseys for each team Um, for the NBA. Right. And so they, they've done like a, I, I think largely like a fantastic job. And I think for the most part, that's probably the consensus because Nike has done like a really good job of like, they send a specific group of people um, to the city. They learn about the, like they, they spend a ton of time, like learning about the city, learning about the culture, meeting everybody in the organization. Um, and they come up with like really unique stories that they tell about the specific cities. Um, and they do it like kind of every year. And they've been maybe now people are, there's a fatigue of like too many new jerseys every year. Cause they get, if they make the playoffs, like all these things, but so they, they've done a great job with that. Nike also sponsors the NFL and the MLB now for jerseys. They, and these two organizations different than um, the NBA are like a lot more rooted in tradition. And it goes like in terms of tradition, it's NFL highest MLB second, 
NBA last when it comes to like color schemes and things like that. So Nike has been working to try to work, like be able to get these types of new jerseys in the NFL since they've taken over their sponsorship, which was before they had the NBA. Um, and all of the owners for the most part are completely against it because they know that like the colors of their helmet, like all of this stuff, like they think that it matters more than anything else and they don't want to change it. They don't want to mess with it. So like Nike is trying to have more interesting NFL jerseys, but the ownership groups just don't really want it, which is kind of interesting to me. It just like shows like the, the two like different sides of the, the biggest pro sports in America. I would think the guys who want to make money off it would be pushing for it. Like the owners would be pushing for it because I, if I, as a Vikings fan, all of a sudden get, have these new uniforms I could potentially buy, I probably would. And then that money goes to the owners. That's weird to me that they're, I think they're back. probably where they conceded was like the color rush. Yeah. Got it. Like, That's exactly, as far as right? I've been able to get. Yeah. Cause I was thinking while you were saying that, like how many teams can you think of that really change up their, can you remember that change up their, uniforms i think the rams were the big one for me when they moved from like the i don't know white and navy blue seahawks were a big rechange and the jaguars the i know the the bengals changed up their jerseys recently so now they're kind of cool but they're they're still the black and orange yeah so yeah but yeah so it's just a it's just an interesting little thing so yeah that's interesting that's fascinating i love it um, with that said, continuing maybe on football, um, I think the next page we turn to is coaching hires. Um, the most recent one that we saw floated out there was Jim Harbaugh. How do we all feel about Jimmy Harbs coming to Minnesota to be uh, get back in the NFL? I uh, I don't I don't know. There's been a lot of buzz about Jimmy Harbaugh lately. Um, and there's some pros and cons, I think, um, like in my gut, the big con for me is just like, I don't love it deep down in my gut. I did some research and he's been pretty much a winner wherever he goes. He, he had a couple of down seasons at Stanford when he first started, but then he turned that into a really good program when he was there. Um, <clears throat> he was coach of the year in the NFL in two, 2011. He went to the Super Bowl went to three, I think, NFC title games. Um, he's done very well at Michigan in terms of wins and losses. But the big thing for me is he just can't win the big game very often, I don't think. And I, that's like the Vikings curse, right? We can get there some years, year in and year out, but we can't get across the goal line. You know, we can't finish the game. So like he's, he's lost the Super Bowl. He's been to a couple NFC title games. He's lost two out of three of those. He's two and six in his bowl records um, in college, and he's only beaten Ohio State once. He's one and five against Ohio State in his time at Michigan. All huge games that that make me worry if he's going to be the guy. Yes, maybe we'll be like, you know, get to the playoffs, have a good team, and then just lose like we do every other year. Um, so what I'm really looking for is someone hopefully who really has that edge to drive us over the top. But we'll see. Like I said, his his NFL record is pretty pretty fantastic. I think it's I've got it here, 44, 19, and one with the coach of the year one year. So I think if we hire him, it like organizationally, it would feel like we didn't really learn anything from the end of Zimmer's tenure. Like 
Zimmer was sort of the old school control freak, you know, didn't let anyone have TVs on or play games in the locker room. Harbaugh's kind of the same way. Like when he left San Francisco, he had bad relationships with a lot of the players because he was too demanding, too much of a sort of controlling guy. He wanted all personnel decisions to run through him. I, I think we've talked about it a lot on this podcast about how in this new era, like players need to be more comfortable around a coach, wanting to play for a coach, not feeling like they're being micromanaged. And I just worry that Harbaugh is still too far to the end of that spectrum of like old school control guy, but maybe his time in Michigan softened him up. I don't know. Uh, I would say I, based on how other college coaches have done back, like going back to the NFL, especially recently, I would, I would worry that it would make it worse his time in Michigan. That's, that's a big scare for me. Cause he left San Francisco and went back to college pretty quick. It felt like. Yeah. One thing that I thought I, I would like to say is I think that to me, I feel as though he's kind of gimmicky. Like I, I picture him like playing, you know, he's wearing the gloves, the players gloves and like he's playing catch before the games and stuff like that. Like, and I realize he's in college now. I don't know if he did that in the NFL, but to me, it's just like is a weird move to like. It feels kind of like what I think some people probably felt like with PJ Fleck, where he's like super gimmicky, even for college. Harbaugh seems a bit gimmicky for the NFL. Like he seems like this guy who's like trying to still get in drills with players. Like that's what my my vision of him is. And so to me, it's like a really weird fit because like there's a. I feel like there's a certain maturity that goes along with and not being old, just being like mature that goes along with being a head co- coach in the NFL. Like even guys like, um, you know, McVeigh and, and those guys like they're young, but they just seem very mature and like put together and kind of like above, above like the, the goofy weird thing that the players kind of can be, you know, the players can kind of be goofy and fun and all this stuff. And the coaches are generally the ones that win at least seem like they're pretty like, Straight and narrow, blah blah blah. You know, not really that, not really that exciting or gimmicky. Um, and Harbaugh just—I don't know—I get a weird vibe, and maybe I'm totally missing the boat because um, it's been a while since he's been in the NFL. But I would not be thrilled with the hire personally. Like, I'm not a—I don't think that's the answer. I don't think a guy who bounces back and forth between NFL and college is the guy we need. I agree. I think it—it's almost partly just like a flashy name to throw to throw in and he's got some ties to Quasi from his days back in San Fran. So I know his brother, you know, seems like a pretty darn good coach to me, you know, beat him in the Super Bowl. But uh, I think John Harbaugh, yeah, is like a guy who is kind of the opposite of what you mentioned of like the guy who has to have everything run through him. I think he's John Harbaugh is more of like a, a, you're my coach for this. You're going to run the defense. You're going to run the offense. I'm going to be like just the manager, like a, like a game manager essentially is, I don't know if that's exactly what we need, but I think, yeah, I think you're right, Connor. I think that he's maybe not the perfect fit for us. And I hope we can find something a little better than just, just the big name. And I should say like, there's not a lot, a lot of names that I'm like super excited for. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I agree with you. There's not a lot to get really excited about right now. Can't deny he's a winner, though. Sure. Like, I right, know you yeah. said he hasn't won the big games, but he is a winner he wherever he goes. He's straight up, and I, he wins. Yeah, I I think he is. Uh, he can be a quick culture builder. And you said Dalton, it might have like fallen apart at the end, but I think he gets a good amount of buy-in quickly from a lot of different places. Um, and 
I think part of the advantage of him is, I don't know if you guys heard these reports that like, if he's the coach, Vic Vangio is the uh, DC and mm. like you, you get some like potential good guys in at DC and OC, it might not matter a ton who your head coach is. We talked about this last week. Um, Vangio has proven to be an elite defensive mind. Yeah, not so much as a head coach, but as a D yeah. coordinator, I'd be very happy with Vic Vangio. Yeah, the only issue goes back to the point of like, does he want to be involved in all these decisions? Is he going to override mm-hmm. Vic Fangio? If that's the case, then it doesn't really matter. But I'm guessing my thought is that while he did well in San Francisco, he may learn from all like the, the faults that he did have there. And maybe we're getting the guy who's a next 10 years book it. We're going to have, you know, a really well run franchise from the head coach perspective, at least. So, I mean, that'd be great. That would be awesome. But Obviously, with hiring a coach, you never know. We may get another Mike Tice on our hands. Dalton, thoughts? I mean, Tice, Tice when's he eligible for the Hall of Fame? <laughs> Soon, I think. <laughs> One of these years. I'm waiting to see his name on the ballot, so I don't know. To say that we might get another Hall of Fame coach coming in is shooting high, but we can hope. He'd give his ex- acceptance speech from that barstool at Bunnies. <laughs> Did... Did you guys, speaking of the Hall of Fame, um, Phil Hughes tweeted something funny out. I don't know if anybody saw, saw this. Yeah, this was yeah. good. I'm trying to pull up the tweet right now just to make sure I don't butcher it. But it was pretty funny. He quote tweeted something. He goes, just realize I'm eligible for, the, for next year's Hall of Fame ballot. Hope we're sticking with the precedence of electing nice guys and not good players. Well, maybe that wouldn't work out either. <laughs> uh, if you don't follow Phil Hughes on Twitter, it's worth a follow. He's pretty funny, and he like roasts himself a lot, which is fun. But sl- slight tangent there with the Hall of Fame. Just thought I'd mention that funny tweet. Now that we kind of are up in our Twitter presence. Um, well, that kind of wraps it up. Well, I guess the final question um, is Pro Bowl coming up next weekend. Dalt, what are you doing to get pumped up for it? I've been waiting all year for this. I mean, it's the biggest game of the year. We've we've got a storied history with guys like Kyle Rudolph winning the the Pro Bowl MVP, cool. highest award in the sport. I mean, I, I can't wait. I'm waiting for the line to come out, waiting to see uh, you know, where we can get the money riding on it. Mm-hmm. Uh tried to tried to buy flights, but I think I think it's sold out. Game sold out. It's gonna be gonna be a packed house. Be packed house in Las Vegas this year. So <laughs> if anyone's got tickets, I'm looking to buy. Scalping and you're scalping flights as well. It sounds like. All right. With that, uh, with that said, that's kind of wraps up the football piece of the pot. I think from there, we're going to move it over into some basketball, some hoops here. The wolves on a slight skid as of late two game losing streak. Isaiah, what's going on with the wolves? All-star game coming up. A lot, a lot of factors here. Uh, yeah, I know. Two games skid. You really got to look at who they lost to. Um, they lost to the two best teams in the West, being the Warriors and the Suns. Um, the intriguing part about both of those games is that they, I know we said no moral victories, but they were in both of those games for the entirety. Um, never really felt confident that they were going to win either of them. Uh, we, we were kind of at arm's length for both of those games, but I think the important thing to note is like in both games, they kind of a little bit had that like, uh oh, here it comes feeling where like it's about to get really out of hand fast. Um, and in both games, the Timberwolves just like continued to fight, continued to stay in the game. 
Um, and I think that's a testament to everything that Chris Finch has done since he got here. Um, from like the choice not to tank right away to try to keep our pick back last year. Um, he came in guns a blazing, wanted to win, wanted to improve, wanted to instill a culture of like you play till the last second in these games. Um, the example was I was watching the game, the Phoenix game, Wolves go down like 12 with like four minutes to play. And it it's, it's like, all right, my brother goes, I'm watching with my brother. He goes, send in the reserves. Like this one's over. Finch doesn't calls a timeout. The Wolves actually, they battle back. I think they tied the game or got it to one possession uh, kind of late and they ended up losing by 10. But I think the point there again is like, he'll, he's never going to give up on this team and they're not going to give up on each other. And I think that's just really refreshing as a Timberwolves fan to, as like from going from watching every single team be willing to give up at any single point for the last like 20 years to having a group of guys who just like refuse to quit. It's pretty nice. Chris Finch hasn't been getting any coach of the year buzz because the Wolves are still a middling team, but I feel like he sh- his name should be thrown around there a little more. I mean, I think he's done an absolutely fantastic job and it's exciting because I mean, I think he's going to be the head coach for a long time coming. Agreed. I, I just am like every time I watch a game, I just feel so good knowing that like, we just talked about the Vikings. It's a little bit scary not to have your guy. The Timberwolves have their guy, uh, and it's a great feeling. The only thing that scares me is if they bring in a new GM next year and that guy wants his dude. If then next year the Wolves start out a little slow or something and then, riot. then the guy fires Agreed. Finch or something, that's going to be an absolute shot to the heart. But that's, that's we're worrying about hypotheticals. So right now, let's just ride the high. Mm-hmm. Not going to lie with you, Dalt. That would be a... Shot to the I, I might give up on this. Like, that'd be a I'm done type no. feeling. Like, I would almost be done at that point. That'd just be so beyond stupid. I I don't know if I could take it. Well, from a, I, I think you make a good point about the culture change. We kind of talked about potentially needing that on the Vikings side. And now it does seem like there's there's been a culture shift where, like, we no longer are these like dumpster fire wolves, which is honestly as, as, as a more layman fan of the team, that's exciting, like fun to think about us getting into the play in situation and all that good stuff. Um, I did watch the golden state game this week and I had a couple thoughts about it. One, first of all, um, Jared Vanderbilt is electric. Like I know we've talked about him a lot in this podcast and not having watched him like play from like start to finish in a game at all this year. Having the chance to do that, my God, is he just a ball of energy? Like it's so fun. The like I didn't know being good at defense could be that fun, honestly. Like he's all over the court, diving on loose balls. It kind of he's got like a college vibe in the in the NBA. Or he's spaz? just a pretty grinder. What's that? Maybe a spaz in a positive way. Yeah, some 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 of his close friends might even call him a spaz in a best way possible. Um, so that was really fun and uh, obviously a tough game. It was it was really sad. I was texting these guys. The third quarter, the Wolves just got outplayed so bad. And like that's where you kind of felt like, okay, we're not quite there yet. But like you, the, the other three quarters, you're like, we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. But it was just, it was a frustrating thing to see the Wolves play bad in the third quarter, which seems like it's been a bit of a bugaboo over the last five years. It's just coming out flat after half. And with Chris Finch, it, it, and maybe I'm wrong with Chris Finch, it seems like they've been better at making halftime adjustments 
Um, but this this game, it really it was tough. It was tough to see. It was tough to watch and a little bit frustrating. Um, my final thought is the halftime show with Charles and Shaq. My God. Somebody put these two out to pasture. Like they are just like so adamant about about the NBA moving back 10 years or 20 years into playing like set up the offense, get the ball to the block, let the big man work and then kick it out. It's like there's more ways to play basketball than there ever has been. And it's so annoying for them to be like this basketball is just brutal to watch centers shooting threes. What's going on? This is horrible. And like their halftime show was basically all about like, and they may be right in some aspects about cat getting to the block and like cat playing more inside, but they were like, Oh, he plays inside in the first half and they, and they score points. It's like, yeah, but he can score from a lot in a lot of different ways. And so to be like, Oh, back to the basket. That's the only way a center can play. That's the vibe that they were putting out, even if that's not what they're trying to do. So those are a, I saw a good th- tweet on that. What's that? I saw a good tweet on that where someone tweeted, my favorite part of seeing the Wolves on national TV once every 15 years is hearing Chuck and Shaq talk about how the best shooting center of all time needs to play on the block more. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I feel like that's half the draw, though, of those guys. It's just their like, stupidity some of the time. Like Sometimes they have some good value, but I think they just sound kind of dumb sometimes, which is really <laughs> funny to me. I think Chuck, in particular, yeah, is helping me realize that I like don't appreciate that. Like, I don't, like, I'm not a, who's the crazy, Ike loves him because he's a Pac-12 guy, the crazy. Bill Walton. Bill. That guy's not, not my jam. I don't like listening to him. These guys kind of give me those vibes. Um, Akib Tlaib, you know, is that who it was? It's their, yeah, their personalities it's instead just of, like, like analysts, like really. Same stuff to me. It just doesn't resonate. And so I'm, I've learned that. So I appreciate this podcast. Is it Thanksgiving already? Because I'm thankful for this podcast because I've realized about myself that I don't like the goofy goofy analysts quite as much as I thought I did circling back on net rating. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, Golden state third quarter net rating. They're plus 17 leads the NBA by over like eight points of net rating that during it. Like they're an awesome third quarter. And they, team. and they have been the whole time that they've been good as they just maul teams in the third quarter. Timberwolves are a uh, plus 1.2 in the third quarter that ranks 14th. Um, and then for a uh, whole game, Golden State's net rating is top 8.2, um, and the Timberwolves are 15th. So they're slightly better in the third quarter than they have been in any other quarter. But I think the in- important part is that they are, that is a massive improvement over the last five years. Also, yeah, love Bill Walton. Love. Yes, we know. You want to give Hubie a shout out while we're on here too? Oh my God, Hubie. Oh, I love Hubie. <laughs> dunk that ball with two hands. You've got to dunk it with two hands. That's the only thing Hubie cares about in the game of basketball. And it's the best. Catch yourself a Wednesday night Hubie game on ESPN. You'll be so happy you did it. Hubie.
No, I'll do it. I'll, I'll throw it to you. How about that? Okay. Connor, you had some thoughts about Malik Beasley that were good too. Lay it on us. So I was watching the game. and Yeah, that's a good point that I left off. Um, and I just like, I hate right now in my current state, I hate Malik Beasley. I think I, every time I see Beasley running down the court, I just wish it was Michael, which is bad, right? That's not something you, a lot of people would say, but I, as I'm watching him and I, like Ike said with the third quarter, this game was kind of an outlier. Well, Malik Beasley was like one for or two for 11 shooting. And it was like, everything was an open look. And I was just like, is this, does this guy suck at basketball? I think at one point when I was messaging you guys, I said, is he the worst basketball player in the NBA? Um, and honestly, I was, I was kidding, but I was also a little bit serious. Um, so I did some deep diving into Malik Beasley. And, um, and I saw that, when he shoots five field goal attempts or less in the game, the Wolves are 21 and 11. And in games that he shoots more than five field goal attempts, he is three and 13. And, um, and oh yeah. And the last thing is when he doesn't shoot at all, the Wolves are undefeated one and oh. So to me, I was like, well, that just based on those numbers, no other information, it seems like the Wolves may be better without Malik Beasley. And, and one of the points I brought up is like, oh, get rid of him. I don't want him. And Isaiah made a good point. I'm like, you don't sell stocks when they're at their bottom, you know. But is it is it to the point where he's bad enough right now? And then I think, by the way, I think he bounced back and shot, shot like nine for 18 the next night. So, like, maybe I'm just an idiot. But um, he had 26 on like 17 shots against Phoenix and like 18 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So maybe the whole I come back that I was talking about was Malik Beasley. But yeah. And so. And so, like, and with that said, we still lost, like, to a good team, but like, still lost. So, um, that actually just plays right into my statistics. So now he's three and we're three and 14 when we, when he shoots more than five times. Um, but it's one of those things where I'm wondering, like, is it better to just not have him on the court right now? Because it seems like when he's in there, we lose. Don't this is like an economics thing? You have to, what's the next best thing? Right, you have to compare him to your next best option, and I think even as he's been this year, he's better than our next best option. I think he's evidence that prison changes people. <laughs> Are we sure the same guy who went in came out? I guess he didn't get a lot of outside time while he was in prison to work on his jumper. Is kind of my thoughts. But yeah, that was essentially my thought process there is like, man, it seems like, and he was just on the struggle bus that night, missing wide open three pointers and even missing wide open jump shots inside the arc. So I was just like, does this guy suck? Isaiah did help me talk me off the ledge a little bit, but I still, I still stand pretty firm. And I think that the, the Wolves would be benefited by having someone replace him next year. And the sad thing for me is that if we're going to continue to lose with him, we're kind of wasting a year when we, we feel like we got some nice momentum going and like maybe he comes back next year and he's a different player and we just all laugh about this and, and he's dialed and you know, we're the four seed in the West. We'll see. But with Malik Beasley, we got to think about this year specifically. Is it, um, is it the trend or is it an outlier? He has shot 37, almost 38% on his career from three, like counting this year. Last year, he was just under 40% at 39.9, and then he was 42, and then 36, and then 38, and then 40. So like he's been a very consistent, good three-point shooter, 
I do think there is weirdly something to him being a little bit off because of the year that he's had this past year was strange, strange as they come. Um, I think there's a, a slight element of the yips involved here. Um, just with the number of like wide open shots that he misses, it's that weird thing of like, you know, you're not doing well. He, from all reports, like this dude is the hardest worker that there is in the organization. Like he is getting shots up nonstop from everything that we hear. So there's that thing of like, you know, you're not doing well. You want to be doing better. You're getting really open looks. You've been working really hard about it. And then you keep missing those shots because all that stuff goes through your brain because you're so wide open instead of just like getting in that rhythm and just shooting. Um, and then with Beasley, I, I just think like it's such an important position for the team. And I think that what's happened, and now I'm talking myself reverse off the ledge of what I t- said to you last oh. week, because I think that his position is so important to the Timberwolves. And we've seen that because he, he can, when he shoots well, we are really good, but he shoots really bad too often, especially this year. Like we need just a little bit more consistency, I think would be really helpful for this team. But the number of wide open looks that he gets is crazy. Like Chris Finch has done a, a fantastic job of getting him really good looks. Um, and I think what I've we found out is like when he's not hitting shots, he does not provide value anywhere else on the court. And that's the thing that I think makes it easier to move on from him this next year because even if you're a three point specialist, you still have to be able to do a little bit of everything else. You can't look completely lost all the time. Um, and he does to me look kind of lost when he's not hitting shots. Oh yeah. Sounds like he may be overthinking this and he might need to just pull a Dennis Rodman for those who have watched, um, the last, the last dance and just go for a weekend and then show up for a game and he'll probably be lights out next weekend. Malik, me, you, Pro Bowl, Vegas. See you there, baby. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up for this week. Um, Thank you for joining us for episode 30, or sorry, 52, 53. Don't let them, sure. Um, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, the Mini Market Pod, and um, have a good week. Go Wolves. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.